Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. This may be a convocation, and I hope you know what that means when I use that word. It may be, you don't know yet, but prepare your heart for the ride we're about to have. Hallelujah. All right. So there's something that is so apparent in scripture that we need to examine this morning. And as we get into God's word, I pray that our hearts are open supernaturally. You know, there are times God's word is coming, but because God has already walked on that heart, you can't even close it. It just has to enter because God has gone ahead to make every crooked path in your heart straight so that the word of God can have free course. That's what it means when, when the Bible is talking about the word of God having a free course. And Lord, I pray that the word of God this morning will have a free course. That it will enter into the heart of man unhindered, unrestrained, unstopped in the name of Jesus. I rebuke every demon of distraction, every demon of worry and anxiety that may be lurking around the shoulders of men. Causing them to be distracted from the now word, the eternal word of Christ. I ask that those demons are banished from this atmosphere right now. Territorially, we gain dominion over this place, this space, and the minds and the ears of the people here right now. And we ask that only God's word has permission to gain entrance into the hearts of men. At the end of this teaching series, or this installment, everyone is blessed, edified, instructed in righteousness by the power of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. We give you praise and glory. For in Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. So, um, three times in scripture, or maybe more than that, but three times there was that direct link between the wisdom of God and something called the fear of God. Amen. I'm sure you must have encountered that. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It says, knowledge. It says, but fools despise wisdom and instructions. Proverbs chapter 9 and 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right. And it says, the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Then Psalms 111 verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says, a good understanding have they that obey your commands. It says, for his praise endures forever. And so in those three verses of scripture, we see how tied and linked the fear of the Lord is to wisdom. Because even the one that said knowledge, it says it is fools. That is those who lack wisdom that despise instructions and wisdom. That is the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Praise God. So let's read Psalms 111 verse 10 in TPT. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Tell your neighbor, pay attention to sound doctrine. Praise God. Hallelujah. Psalms 111, verse 10 in TPT. All right. The Bible here says, Where can wisdom be found? He said, it is born in the fear of God. 
where can wisdom be found? He said, it is born in the fear of God. It says, everyone who follows his ways will never lack his living understanding. He says, and the adoration of God will abide throughout eternity. But the first phrase there, he says, where can wisdom be found? He said, it is born in the fear of God. But what is the fear of God? Because he's saying here that if you lack the fear of God, there is no hope for you getting wisdom. Because he says, the beginning of the institution of wisdom, you are registered by the fear of God. How you enroll into the school of wisdom is to have the fear of God be your guide into that college. You cannot even begin the enterprise of wisdom if you lack the fear of God. So if you do not have the fear of God, there is no point of we examining your wisdom because you don't have it. Because the fear of God is the beginning. TPT says, where can wisdom be found? He said, it is born. In the fear of God. So until a man starts to fear God, he has no chance at accessing wisdom. Did you see that? He has no chance at accessing wisdom. But what is this fear of God? What is this fear of God? A lot of people think that the fear of God is the terror we experience when we think upon the judgments that are within God's capacity to execute. That's what a lot of us think that the fear of God means. That it is the fear and terror you experience when you think upon the judgments that are within God's capacity to execute. That's what we assume to be the fear of God. But that is not the fear of God. Everything has that one. Not just everyone, everything. Everything has that type of fear. It's called terror. Even the demons are afraid of God to that extent. They know and are aware of the judgments that are within his capacity to execute. And at his presence, they demonstrate terror and fear. That's not the fear of God. And the way the Bible explains it to be received. Everybody has that one. Even atheists and people that don't believe in God, they will say things like, God punish you. right why do you say things like that why do people say things like god will punish you because they assume and they believe that there is someone bigger than both parties both the one that was aggrieved and the one that was doing the grieving that is bigger than both of us that can execute the judgment that we both can oversee so one way of people expressing their fear of god is by evoking god over people for selfish reasons so a lot of people interpret the fear of god to be what you expect other people to have so that they will not swindle you, scam you, take advantage of you. So when you say things like God will punish you, it's because perhaps you don't have the capacity to punish that person. And you've got to sort of appeal to a higher power that can do the punishing. So that by the time the person is being punished, you are rejoicing. And as it's paining the person, you are happy. And <laughs> But let's read Psalms. Proverbs, Proverbs 24, verse 17. Hmm. Amen. We're building something here. Proverbs 24, 17. Proverbs 24, 17 in TPT. All right, let's quickly go there. 24, 17. It says, 
Never gloat when your enemies meet disaster. And don't be quick to rejoice if he falls. For the Lord who sees your heart will be displeased with you. And will pity your foe. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. And let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased. And it displeases him and he turn away his wrath from your enemy. It's counterproductive to wish evil on your enemies. It's counterproductive. When you do that. God will have mercy on them. You don't gloat when your enemy falls. You don't wish your enemy evil. You pray for them. That's the scriptural injunction. You don't say God punishes anyone. You see, in football, there's a concept where the referee is doing his job. And then someone attacks you roughly or tackles you really badly. And then you begin to tell and wave the hand to the referee and say, punish him with a yellow card. Smart referees will punish you with the yellow card. Because you're trying to become the referee and once you take up that posture the referee now turns on you and punishes you for assuming the position that you really should not be occupying and that's the same thing with God you don't rejoice when your enemies fall you pray for them so these are some of the manifestations of what people assume to be the fear of God that's number one they evoke God on people number two They ask people to swear. They ask people to swear. That is, we're about to get into some sort of an agreement. And I'm not sure. I can't continue to monitor you to fulfill all the terms of the agreement. So let us both swear to a higher power that can oversee in case there is a breach of contract. So we both swear by power greater than both of us. And once we swear, I can go at peace believing that, see, you now have a mobile mopo that goes around with you in case you default. I don't have to oversee that process. And so it secures my heart when someone swears to me. In that sense. And that is what we all use the fear of God to achieve. So we say that, um, you know, politicians should swear and all of those things. So that when they get into offices, they will, not, they will not steal funds. And as we have obviously observed, that in spite of the oaths and stuff, corruption still abounds. Because usually when it comes to the fear of God, it is something we expect everybody else to have except us. Don't you have the fear of God? Fear God now. And the burden of that fear is always on others apart from ourselves. And the last way a lot of us misconstrue fear, which is the fear of God, is that it is a merchandise that husband materials sell. Because when you check checklists and spec lists of ladies... Top on their list most of the time is that he must fear God. He must be God-fearing for him to qualify to be my husband. And so the burden of the fear is on him. And the way God has structured his system is such that you can't recognize a God-fearing man except you are one. So God will not punish a God-fearing man with you if you're not God-fearing. He won't. It won't punish a God-fearing man with you. So the only way to attract a God-fearing man is to be a God-fearing woman. You don't need to pray for that one. Don't, don't pray after you become a God-fearing You will see a God-fearing man. Because how do you know a God-fearing man if you are not one yourself? How do you recognize a fake note except you are so familiar with the original? 
And so until you know how to fear God in your own life, you can't recognize a man that does. Anyone can pretend for a few months. Anyone. And so if you notice these three contexts within which people express and manifest and almost execute the fear of God is usually when it comes to protecting their own self-interest so that they will not be taken advantage of. They almost put the burden of the fear of God on others. And that's not how to manifest the fear of God. That is not the fear of God. The fear of God begins with you, you, you. It is a personal responsibility for you to fear God. Three ways to manifest the fear of God. Number one, depart from evil. Did you hear what I said? Hmm. What do you do? Proverbs chapter 8. Trying to establish my coordinates. The Bible says the fear of God is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. 2 Timothy 2, 19, it says, surely the foundation of the Lord standeth sure, having a seal. It says the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who nameth the name of the Christ depart from iniquity. So the first way to manifest and express the fear of God is to depart from evil. And the good thing is that every one of us has within our consciousness, which is our conscience, the possibility and the capacity to recognize evil and good. So when you depart from evil, you are manifesting the fear of God. Number two, to obey his commands. To obey his commands. Remember Psalms chapter 19, it begins to talk about, it began to eulogize the word of God. Begins to use words like the word, the precepts, the statutes, the commandments. And then somewhere you just see the fear of the Lord. Ah. You just see the fear of the Lord in verse 19 or in verse 9. It says the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. Anyone who fears the Lord will pay attention to his word. You cannot say you fear the Lord and you don't pay attention to his word. You are paying lip service. How you fear the Lord is by obeying his commands. Number two, obeying his commands. Number one, departing from evil. Number two, obeying his commands. Obeying his word. That's how you show the fear of God. You obey his commands. And number three, to honor the men and the ordinances that he says to honor. Remember in 2 Chronicles 20, 20, God made it such that if they were not going to receive from his prophets, they were not going to leave Egypt. It says, by a prophet you will be delivered and by a prophet you will be taken into the promised land. That is the protocol. That is how God delivers his people. He sends them a prophet. He sends them someone that they must receive in the name of the prophet. Because that name of the prophet is talking about the name of the one who has sent the prophet. So if a prophet comes and you reduce him to his name, his status, his capacity, his financial capacity and all of those things. You will not be able to receive at the level of the capacity of that prophet. Because he's in the capacity of the one that sent him, not in his own capacity. So when you receive a prophet in the name of the one that has sent him, you receive the package that God sent through him to deliver to you but if you're not able to receive that man and you receive him, receive him in a local or natural fleshly context you will never receive that which belongs to you from him and so if you do not honor men you will not receive that which God has sent them 
to release into your life. Amen. These are the three profound ways to express the fear of God. Hmm. So really, what is the fear of God? The fear of God in summary, and it's interesting, most of what we've been talking about at the HDD is about honor. This morning, without anyone informing the team, you know, the Kahoot was about HDD, more about honor and all of those things. And you see, this is how God navigates us in this house and just coordinates our curriculum to ensure that we are all growing at the same pace. And so what is the fear of God? In a short form, the fear of God is honor. Reverential honor. With no threats attached. With no judgment attached. Incentivized by love and affection for God. I've not started defining, I'm just trying to explain. But if that works for you as a definition, go ahead and write it. It's fine. So what is honor? Honor really, in short, is the ability to recognize difference and the humility to act accordingly. That is what honor is. Honor is the ability to recognize difference and the humility to act accordingly. That's a short form of the definition. An expanded version will be that honor is the ability to recognize difference and the willingness to allow that perception influence your behavior around and your response towards that object of honor. Did you get that? The way some of you are looking at me. <laughs> Praise God. Honor is the ability to recognize difference and the willingness to allow that recognition or that perception to influence your behavior around and your response towards the object of honor. Did you get that? I'll say one more time. Honor is the ability to recognize difference and the willingness to allow that recognition or perception to influence your behavior around or your, or your response towards the object of honor. I'm sure that's clear now. So let's go back to the shorter definition, which is that honor is the ability to recognize difference and the humility to act accordingly. Amen. Wow. So that means honor is entirely dependent on perception. Entirely. Because it begins with your ability to recognize, perceive. This is different. This person is different. This place is different. These people are different. Your ability to be able to recognize it is honor. This honor is the fear of God. This fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Why would Nabal act foolishly towards David? David takes it as an offense. And he rallies his men, attempting to kill everyone in his household before the day dawns. And then Saul has been acting foolishly against David consistently. And David insists that, no, I won't as much as speak ill of him. 
The difference with his attitude towards these two different people is a function of his honor. Honor is your ability to recognize difference and the humility to act accordingly. That is honor. Honor does not lump everybody together in the same baskets. Your elders are different from your parents. Your instructors are different from your pastor. Your colleagues at work are different from your husband. There is a difference. A man without honor will lump everything together. Treat his wife as a colleague. Treat his colleagues as a wife. A man without honor does not know how to separate and make differentials in his mind, which will then inform his behavior around and his response to words. Because he lacks honor. He does not know the difference between two entities. So he treats them alike. So he dishonors people he shouldn't honor. Or rather, he shouldn't dishonor. And begins to hallow corrupt places. He lacks honor. He does not have honor in his heart. And that's because he lacks the fear of God. Joseph knew there was a difference. Between all the colleagues that I have at work and my august wife, there is a difference. I have dominion over everything else except you, ma. I can't touch you. There is a world. You like me is not enough. I like you back is not still enough. You are different. I don't have authority over you, ma. I can't touch you. You can pay me a billion dollars. I won't sleep with you. There is a difference. There is a difference. Amen. Amen. That is honor. The ability to recognize difference and the humility to act accordingly. So that means honor is heavily dependent on perception. That means also the quality of honor a person possesses is also susceptible to perception deficiencies. I'm taking it slow so you can flow with me. Is that all right? That means the quality of honor a person expresses or demonstrates is a direct function of how clearly he is perceiving. That means the quality of honor a person has or demonstrates can become a victim of a deficiency in perception. So if someone does not perceive accurately, the person would honor wrongly. Right? So, I'll be sharing with you today three perception deficiencies. Three spiritual perception deficiencies that affect people and how they are inadvertently able to honor or otherwise people around them. Are we still together? Praise God. And these are conditions that you're already familiar with, but not in the context with which I'll use it today. The first spiritual perception deficiency, you can call it SPD for short. The first SPD is spiritual myopia. Spiritual myopia. Myopia is also known as short-sightedness. Short-sightedness is a condition where you cannot see things that are far off until they come close. Hmm. The spiritual variant of this condition is such that you cannot recognize people until they are too close. And by the time they are so close, you already dishonor them. You already become too familiar. 
While, while they are far off, you can't appreciate them. When they are too close, you dishonor them. Lot suffered from this condition. It is called spiritual myopia. Where someone that carries weight. Hey! Do you understand what it means to be Abraham? Abraham as, is long dead, but we are, he's still a curriculum in the line of faith. This man is the pioneer patriarch. This man is the father of faith. This man is the one in whose bowels first resided the blessing. He was the grand progenitor of what we call the blessing. This man called Abraham. Abraham. That was his spiritual capacity. That was the office he occupied in the scheme of things. But here is a lot who actually is an appendage. Because he was never supposed to be taken from his father's house. It was a sentimental decision to pick up Lot as well because he was fatherless. And now his grandfather who took responsibility for his life is now dead. Now I'm your uncle. I can't leave you to rot. So let us go away from this Haran into the promised land. However, God told Abraham, get out of your father's house. Just take yourself and the things that belong to you nuclearly and leave. He took an extended person, which indeed is an appendage. So in the scheme of things, he was actually an appendage. He was an accessory, honestly. So Lot began to grow because of his association and connection with Abraham. The things he touched became blessed, not because of his own uniqueness and connection with God, but because of the associated benefits of his relationship with Abraham. So he was blessed by proxy. God had no business with Lot. He was blessed by proxy. He was blessed because his surname was Abraham's surname. He was blessed because he was connected somehow. And then he began to see Abraham as a colleague. Began to see him as a competitor. Hmm. So his cattle were increasing. Abraham's cattle were increasing. There wasn't much difference. In fact, he had children. Abraham did not have children. He knew about the fact that Abraham lied to a king to secure his head. He was aware that Abraham is a woman rapper that listened to his wife to go into his slave to give birth to Ishmael. He was familiar with Abraham. He was aware of all the human deficiencies and weaknesses of Abraham. And very soon, his body language began to express such dishonor. So he would go to the office and he would speak ill of Abraham. He didn't realize that his men were taking note. So he would just say something about, or Abraham would say something to Lot and give him an instruction. And Lot would drag his feet or send a third party to go and execute it. And say, well, go, on, go on, get it done. It's fine. This guy, your problem is too much. But it's fine. You're a CEO, I'm a CEO. I don't work for you. I have my stuff. I can move away if you want. And then Abraham saw the strife. It was not between him. Because if Abraham was responding directly to Lot, he would have been offended since. So by the time he got to the second layer of the relationship circle, it was his men and Abraham's men that were, because the, his men were already taking the vibe from Lot. That these guys are not people we should be giving too much respect. So there was now strife between Lot's men and Abraham's men. And Abraham was the one that brought it up. Lot didn't even recognize it or perhaps he even instigated it. So by the time Abraham brought it to Lot and said, your men and my men are fighting. There's no need for us to be having issues. Can you just choose? The land is plenty. Just choose where you want to go. 
and I'm fine to let you go. Ah, if Lot had honor in his heart, he would say, which of my men? I sack them now. I will sack them now. Which of them dared your men? Don't you know, you men, that we are here? We are enjoying this benefit because of Abraham. Don't you understand his role in our life? Why would you take it into your own hands to be striving with Abraham's men? Are you guys dumb? Don't you see that the hand of the Lord is upon him? And because we are associated, we are blessed by proxy. Instead, he said, oh, I have been waiting for that offer. All right, um, let me get back to you. So he calls his consultant, who was going to deliver to him a feasibility report. So he came and did a proper you know, mapping of the entire space, looked at the ones that had solid fertility, that had potential for growth of crops and all of those things that is sheep and livestock were going to graze from and grow healthily. And he divided the entire plot into two, you know, and then he chose the one that was good. And after the report, he said, okay, so this is the better one. I'll be okay, good. So he goes to Abraham and said, I've done my feasibility report and I've chosen this one. This one that is lush. Bible says it was like the garden of Eden. It looked like a garden of Eden. Listen, if you do not honor, you will make bad choices. And you will make choices based only on the things you see. Because you see, listen, the title of my teaching is Scales. And I will explain to you what the second scale means. The first scale is the dysfunction of the eyes. The one that must follow for you to see clearly. Right? That's the first type of scale that needs to fall off. That first one is a negative type of scale. The second one is a positive one. So the first scale is one that needs to get out of your face for you to see clearly and appreciate spiritual things in the context that they really come in spiritually. Not reduce things to a fleshly evaluation. He says, henceforth we know no man after the flesh. We don't evaluate people based on their bank account and their social media following. We look at them and we weigh them on a proper spiritual scale. Before we get a perception. We don't just assume. Colors. Race. Financial capacity. Social status. No, that's not how we judge. We are quickened by the fear of the Lord. He will not judge according to the seeing of his eyes. Or the hearing of the ears. But as he hears, he will speak. Praise God. And so, Lot made a terrible decision by choosing a land based on optics. Based on aesthetics. The way people marry. Based on optics. Based on aesthetics. He has this, he has that. You have not weighed him on a scale. Jesus said, I have weighed your works. It came to nothing. And on this side of earth, you are the Laudation church. And you are loud. You used to do what? Lao Lao. And you, you are loud. And everybody assumes that you guys are the best. You guys, you do the best conferences. And everybody wants to be like you. But I've weighed you on a scale. I've weighed you on a scale. You guys don't amount to much. You guys don't amount to much. And then Lot made a horrible decision in dishonor. So once you get into dishonor, your eyes are cut out. You can't see clearly anymore. And so he chose the one that looked good. But post five years, ten years, he was going to be the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. Scheduled for destruction. What he chose, that he thought he was going to build a family. He was going to build a dynasty. Build a company. In a matter of few years, the place came crashing down. He didn't have any economy. In fact, he lost his wife to the struggle. Amen. Because he lacked honor in his heart. 
lot. So they don't see people and appreciate people from a distance until they come close. And by the time they come close, they're already infected with familiarity. They're not able to see clearly and appreciate the person. And so when, and this is why sometimes the people closest to a man of God are the farthest from his anointing. Mm. The people closest to a ministry gift are the farthest from his anointing. Because like I said Two weeks ago thereabout, I said, honor is quicker or faster or stronger. I can't remember the exact adjective I used than contact. So you see people who are far off. There is a sensing in their spirit. If I can just but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Whereas people are thronging. People are hugging. People are cutting part of his clothes by accident. Somebody just touched one moment and she was whole because she had honor in our heart for him in an unusual way he doesn't need to even look at me he doesn't even need to plan to bless me he's an he is he's, hey, his garments are so anointed i don't need his will i don't need him to lay hands his garment is too anointed for me not to take advantage of he hallowed jesus she hallowed him and made him look like he was bigger than how every other person perceived him there was another man whose faith was even greater than hers he said, you don't need to even say anything. You don't need to even, I don't need to touch you. You don't need to come and come near the, the person that is sick, my servant that is sick. Speak the word only. And Jesus said, I've never, I've never seen this one. Or not in Israel. I've not seen this one before. You see, their faith was dependent on their honor. What they were able to get from the Lord was dependent, directly related to how much honor they had for him. How much reverence. They had for his person. He said, you mean I don't need to come? Your name is not Jairus, Abi. I don't need to come to your house. Even Peter asked Jesus to come. I don't need to come. I am not even a Christian. Ah, okay. Your servant is healed. And the man took note of the time. Because he knew he would need a confirmation. And so the next day, as he saw the person coming from his house, he asked, at what point was my servant healed? He said, the self-same hour. Aha, this thing works. The self-same hour. He spoke the word only. Is that not what happens every Sunday when the God's word is coming forth? But some people will still insist on going to a mountain, receiving laying of legs and everything. Because they have not hallowed the word enough to be powerful in their lives. So they will say, oh, I must touch. I must break the chair upon whom, upon which the man of God sat before I can receive the blessing. And some people, even if they live in the same house with the man of God, they will still not receive it. Because Lot was so close to Abraham, yet he was so far. He was suffering from spiritual myopia. Just because the man had become too near. Abraham will not ask you to honor him. Men of honor will not demand it. No. You are the one that must perceive correctly. You are the one that must perceive them correctly. Ha! Aye. Genesis 14. Abraham had returned from the fight and the slaughter of kings. There were kings there. There were many kings there. Then one certain man showed up among them. He's called Melchizedek. He didn't have a halo on his head. He didn't carry a sword. He didn't have, a, he didn't have an uh, army of people behind him. He just looked like every other normal person. But Abraham looked at him and said, you are different. You are different. And he looked at him. He saw him with bread and with, with wine. The presence of the bread and the wine is what informs the weight a person carries in the realm of the spirit. We'll get to that second scale in a bit. 
When he saw the bread and the wine, he said, hey, you are different. King of Sodom wanted to give him something. He said, no, I won't collect anything from you. But you, give me the bread. Give me the wine. I receive it of you. I receive it. And he had a conversation with Melchizedek. An eternal conversation that had implications on even Levi, his fourth generation. Because he, he received a man that didn't look like it. Imagine, imagine at the Valley of Spoils, where people are dividing. Nobody looks different from everybody. Everybody's struggling for their spoil. And then you see a man, and you're like, mm, there is something different about you. Melchizedek did not announce himself. He recognized him. This one is different. This one. This one is different. Your ability to recognize difference and the humility to act accordingly. Others want to give you, you say, no, I have raised my hand unto the king that I will never take anything from any man, lest you come in the future to say you made me rich. But I can give all the credit of my exaltation to this man. He is Melchizedek. I don't have a problem receiving from him. Praise the name of the Lord. And so Lot suffered from spiritual, spiritual myopia. Wow. Miriam was also another example. Miriam, do you know, historicals and then, or should I say theologians have it, that Miriam was the one that oversaw the transition of Moses into the palace. Or even though it was another name of hers that was used in that particular narrative, but people believe it's the same Miriam. So that means there was no way she could have been younger than about 10 or 15 at that time. That means at least she was 15 years older than Moses. And so she, I mean, you know, those aunties that really have the right to say we better do, we gave you oxygen because she gave him oxygen. Because if not for her, Jochebed would have lost a son that day. The daughter of Pharaoh would not have found him. This lady was actually responsible for the life of Moses. And on top of that, she was his elder sister, biological. And then he did something wrong. He married from a tribe that God had instructed nobody should marry from. And a sister, taking it up as a responsibility within the house to set the record straight and request an accountability from, from Moses. Said, what is wrong? Why are you marrying from? And then God heard the conversation. Hmm. Every other conversation in the camp, God didn't pay attention. But God heard this one. He heard this conversation. Uh -uh. Who is challenging Moses? Oh, Miriam, because you are his elder sister, because you bathed him, because you, you gave him the life, and, and you won't blame Miriam much, would you? Miriam is his elder sister. Miriam occupies two roles. She is both a member of his camp and his elder sister. So in two domains, she wore different hats. When they were having family meeting, Miriam would speak before Moses. But when they were speaking in the tabernacle of the congregation, Moses was the one that spoke first and last. <laughs> but Miriam did not know how to manage the difference. She used authority in one space to question his authority in another space. So she said, ah, if, if, she had, if she had spoken to him as a sister, in the capacity of a sister, what you have done is not right in our house. Maybe God would have pardoned. But she took the conversation to the next level and spoke to Aaron. Is he the only one that God speaks to? Ah! Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said that. Limit it to the domain of your superiority. 
Don't carry it into another domain. Because A, if I, God speaking, wants to speak, I know who I want to speak to. The best I can do with all of you is visions and dreams. If I want to speak to Moses, I speak to him face to face. Which of you can try that one and still be alive? Three of you, step forward. Step forward. And then, after God was done speaking, because of the anointing on Aaron, God just say you, I go help you. This now, this your cloak. <laughs> now this cloak away the way they just save you now. But Miriam, she became leprous immediately. Thank God there was intercession for her. Seven days later, I think she was returned to the camp. But her ministry never recovered. Because she was a prophetess. She was a singer. She was a minstrel. But her ministry never recovered. You've got to be able to recognize difference. Is he the only one that God speaks to? Ah, as far as Israel is concerned, though, He's the only one I speak through, through him, to everyone else. So you had better understand where you sit in the scheme of things. Remember how we described honor in terms of Psalms 133, the last time we had our retreat, that if you do not receive the head in the name of the head, you will not receive of what is on his head. Because the oil will come on his head and it would only flow downwards. It does not flow sideways, it does not flow upwards. The moment you become a competitor, the anointing will never flow in your direction. Never. Hebrews 7, 7. The less forever is blessed of the better. The moment Abraham saw the other king's king of Sodom, he knew he was better. When he saw Melchizedek, he knew he was lesser. He knew. He saw the kings of Sodom and said, don't worry. I'm your father. I'm the father of nations. I don't collect reward for being a father. So you have gone to collect spoils. You want to give me my own. I don't collect such things. I'm a father. <laughs> That's what fathers do. I rescue people. My children. That is who I am in the scheme of things in your lives. I don't collect bribe. I don't, it's not bribe. It's actually, it's not even a bribe. It, it, it was a legitimate, you know, it was his own. It was something that should come to his account. But he said, no, I am bigger. I am greater. My own household delivered you, your five kings, your five kingdoms, my own household. His capacity was bigger than those of those five nations combined. Yet when he saw Melchizedek, he said, I am lesser. Bless me. He knew the difference. Even though it was in the same conversation, the same context, he recognized the difference. And he had the humility to act accordingly. That is honor. That is honor. That is honor. So Lot and Miriam, because people get too close to them, they don't know how to deal with them anymore. It becomes fuzzy. It's, they, they now begin to use their relationship with the person to threaten his anointing. Pastor Koji always talks about how that the people that helped him at the beginning, especially everybody was on campus, when they came to, you know, uh, Covenant Christian Center and he started his work, they were his first members, of, of course, you know, so they came to support him and all of that. They were even giving food and all of those things. But he now began to notice some attitudinal changes in them. They would come late. They would not do some things. He couldn't give them instructions as he would have loved as the pastor of a church. And he had to come and tell them. If they left, obviously, he was going to be memberless, literally. But he was willing to take that risk. Because he knew that he couldn't grow beyond a certain point while they were still there with that kind of attitude. So he told them, he said, guys, I appreciate the work you guys have done so far, your contributions and everything. But if you will continue to act like this, I would rather you leave. They left. And I was willing to sacrifice them for the growth of the church. Because guess what? If they had not left, they would be the ones to become victims eventually. Because they will stand on the other side of the sword. Amen. 
these are scriptural truths that we don't take for granted. So when a man does not understand these things, that's what it means when he says he lacks the fear of God. That's the meaning. He lacks honor. He does not know difference. He lumps everything together. He acts as if everybody is the same. He enters the room, he should be quiet, he's speaking. He, he enters the room, he should be speaking, he's quiet. He doesn't know the difference. He's just, he's, he's blind. Life has clouded his judgment. He's thinking like a content creator. I'm just saying. Why, why are you still wowing now? Oh, the kind of series have you? Oh, I see. Wow. The second deficiency, spiritual perception deficiency, is spiritual hyper myopia. Yeah. The first one is short sightedness, the second one is long sightedness. This can even be a more dangerous spiritual deficiency. Nabal is the king of. And the WhatsApp admin holder of this deficiency, Nabal. So this is how this deficiency works. While you are far, they are receiving from you. Once you come near, they can't understand. Once you come near, they, 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 they react. And there are a lot of believers like this. And I'll explain. Do you know that David's being in the wilderness, David's man being in the wilderness was what preserved his sharers. He had about 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. I think the goats should have been more, by the way, because he himself. You can finish it. You can. The Bible says he had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. I couldn't get past that, but I'm like, this guy should have like 10,000 goats and two sheep. That's, what, that's, the, that's the way the ratio should have been. But he had a lot of sheep and a lot of goats. And he was very rich. He had a lot of substance. So riches does not confer wisdom. I've said it several times. It does not confer wisdom. I won't weigh a man by how much he has in his account. I won't. I won't. I'm no respecter of persons. And that's the way God is as well. Can you imagine that a leprous general was still proud? You are leprous. You are the one we are tolerating. You are the one we are tolerating. Your maid can stand in places you can't stand. You are a leprous man. And then he came to Elisha and said, uh, go and call your prophet. And then the prophet said, just go and tell him to wash in Jordan, the dirtiest river. And, and Naaman said, ah, ah, am I a small man that you just give me an instruction through your servant? Can you not just come outside and do some apragadabra and just spin and roll and jump and get me healed so that I can give you the things that I brought? Proud man, even as a leprous man. God just had mercy on him. If not for the counsel he received, if they had told you to do something more difficult, maybe you will do it. Then I gave you something more, you are, you are still angry. Like, so the man had sense, went there and then got healed and then came back and we know the story. My point is this. It's important that you're able to recognize difference, especially at the varying distances that the anointing can be from you. So while David was in the wilderness, preserving Nabal's men and ensuring that wild animals and thugs, because David and his men were not the only thugs in the wilderness. There were other camps. There were other thugs that had cabals. But David, 
Bible says his men spoke to Abigail and said, while we were at the wilderness, these guys were our shield by day and by night. Because they were there, we could do our business. If not for these men, we would have suffered shipwreck in this business. We would have gone bankrupt. And then our boss is acting foolishly towards them. So guess what? While David was giving, and, and you may not have linked it this way, but that's what the Holy Spirit showed me. While David was giving and serving Nabal, Nabal was convenient and he was comfortable with it. He was okay with it. Because he couldn't act like he didn't really know David. Because when his men came, he acted like he didn't know him. He knew David. He knew David too well. In fact, the sarcastic insult he gave to David was a function of knowledge. So he said, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? He said, many there be servants that are running from their masters. He knew his story. He knew how he left Saul. He knew how he has become a fugitive in the wilderness. He knew his story. He was well acquainted with the narrative around David. But while David was blessing him, he had nothing to say because he was benefiting. But now that David has deposited enough to justify a withdrawal, because David had been depositing, not with any intention to collect, but now he's in need. And he has someone within his circle that he has been depositing into. And now there's an opportunity to receive from where he has been depositing. Because it would have been wrong if he never deposited but was asking for a withdrawal. So he had been depositing, he had been giving, he, had, he never asked the sharers to give him anything. In fact, he could have stolen one of those sheep and goats. Could have stolen it. And just connived with his sharers because Nabal was never at the site. He could have just said, guys, you know we've been good to you. Just give us this one. Just balance the account. Tell them that they, 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 they died. Just tell Nabal that the goats got pregnant. We lost the mother and the baby. <laughs> lost. And just tell them that. Just, just tell them. Just. It could have been easy to do that. But David went the right way. He sent his man, an honorable man. He, he went to Nabal. He hailed him. He said, he said, a man of prosperity that lives in peace and affluence. He hailed Nabal. And as was hailing Nabal, Nabal's head too was, and then he started messianing. Started saying nonsense. He lacked honor. Do you know that is the reality of a lot of us? You are receiving from the man of God. You are receiving from the church. While you are receiving, and guess what? The wisdom and the insights and the instructions you are receiving is what is balancing your marriage. It is what is balancing your career. It is what is influencing how you are able to stand strong in the times of adversity and vicissitudes. It is because of this insight and wisdom you are receiving. That you are able to live a balanced life that does not have so much consequences from your past decisions. There is intercessory covers over you. Coverings, mercy, grace. Because even if you don't pray for yourself, leaders are praying every week over your life. But then there is a need in the house. And then we say, guys, we need... And you're like, these people like money too much. You are a neighbor. That is, the, that is the stature of such a person in the realm of the spirit. Because while you are receiving from David, you don't have a problem with him. The moment David wants to ask for a little thing, you, you suddenly have a problem with him. You see him as a loser, a, a charlatan. No. Let him that is taught in the word communicate to him that teaches in all good things. That is what the scripture teaches. For if you sow into the flesh, you would of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow into the spirit, you would of the spirit reap life everlasting. David was justified to be angry. But thank God for Abigail. Thank God for Abigail. Look at that. So while David was afar off, he, he saw him clearly. He, he received from him. He got from his anointing. He received from David. But the moment David came, no, 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 no. 
I don't want to benefit anyone that has benefited me. <laughs> he only takes, he doesn't give. I'm sure he didn't pay his work as well. Because nobody could even speak with him directly. Everybody always used Abigail to him. He was so foolish. He didn't have good people skills. He was just horrible as a boss. He was the real horrible boss. Honestly. Do you know what happened? After Abigail, of course, again, we see bread and wine. Abigail carried plenty loaves and plenty wine, carried it to David, you know, intercepted him on his way to the house, and then, you know, appeased, appeased him. And that's the thing about wisdom. The Bible says it is easy to be entreated. When you are too stubborn, nobody, ah, ah, nobody can speak to you and you will calm down. It's a big sign of foolishness. Oh. Nobody in this life. Father, mother, mm -mm, pastor, mm -mm. Abigail spoke to David. This was David at his most angry state. I don't think David ever got that angry in scripture. He was so angry, but an Abigail that I had never met was sufficient to appeal to him. I said, it's no problem. You've spoken well, and I've received your person in advance. <laughs> <laughs> because you would later see that he received her uh -huh, in real time. He received her. Because while she was speaking, he said, ah, I've spoken well. Oh. Ah, Lovely. <laughs> and then he was at peace. Because the Bible says in James 3, talking about wisdom, he says it is easy to be entreated. Your stubbornness, nobody can appeal to you. Nobody can even make you think otherwise. You don't even envision or give opportunity for other opinions. You are just insistent. What the Bible calls it is stiff-necked. And when something is stiff... It is more susceptible to breaking than bending. Amen. Don't be stiff-necked. Bending can be adjusted. In fact, bending is, is, is an exercise. But breaking is a fracture. It's a disaster. Don't break. And so, that is long-sightedness. When as far as someone is far, some of you have been listening to Wafbeck for years. You have never given to Wafbeck. Snebalik. You go there and every year you sit there for the first seven days. You are receiving, you are drinking, you are collecting, collecting. And because Pastor Bodhi will never say, oh yeah, bring money, you too, you will not think of it. Is Nebal not supposed to think of how to compensate David and his men? Such that in such a season when he had anticipated that they would be in lack. And you guys have been giving to my people. You've been serving me. I, you are not on my payroll, but you are serving me. Habba, let me also do something. He didn't. And even when they asked honorably, he insulted him, insulted his men, insulted his father's house. He even brought his father into the, into the matter. He said, who is the son of Jesse? Ah! David was upset. So while you are far off, they can collect from you. They can receive from you. But once you come near, and they can already see that you have needs too, they close up their bowels of compassion. So they're not interested. I can do bad all by myself. If you were not there, God would have sustained me. No. God would have sent another man. God doesn't sustain people without other men. He will use men to sustain you. And he didn't recognize that. He didn't appreciate that. He, he was too, he had spiritual hyper myopia. Praise the name of the Lord. Are we still together, guys? This is a side note. So Abigail, having saved her husband's neck, and this is a caution to women. 
after saving her husband's neck, went back because Abigail, hmm, Abigail killed her husband. Do you know? That's what the Bible teaches. Abigail, after doing all of that, because there's only so much you can survive a foolish husband. So she wanted out. She wanted out. It was clear. So that appeasing was also toasting. Said David, you will soon be king. She, it, she was so prophetic. The things she said. Ah! It was as though it was like water on David's heart. This guy had been struggling in the wilderness for years. Then someone just comes out of the blues and says, you will soon be king. My Lord, don't, don't act like this. And, you know, she spoke prophetically. Eulogized David. But did the exact opposite to Nabal. She emasculated him. So she went to him. And then she told him everything that had happened. And how he would have died. In fact, she waited till he was sober so that he can receive it well. Because that night when she got back, the guy was drunk. Because he's so foolish. You were going to die. I mean, if not for your wife, you would literally be dead in your stupor. And so, her husband spared, I mean, his, husband, his wife spared him. And then, you know, she spared him that night and waited till he was sober. And Bible says the next day she spoke to him everything that happened. And Bible says his heart died in him. You can speak to a person and their heart will die. He lived 15 days longer, but he had died. Yes. Is it there? Bible says it came to pass. Good. And his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became as a stone. This is what we call depression. And perhaps the highest level of clinical depression. His heart died. He became as a stone. Women, you have that negative power to emasculate a man. This is a scriptural evidence. She spoke to him in a way that he couldn't recover from it. She didn't, she didn't lay hands. So listen, oh, Spirit of God. We always talk about domestic abuse. And it is always skewed to the men alone. Because the only way we know how to sort of manifest our discontent to women is to apply force. Because that is a superior advantage that we have. We have muscular superiority. But there is a superiority a woman has over a man too. But that will never be captured as domestic violence. But it can be worse. We've got to speak the word of God. Abigail emasculated her husband. She did not raise a finger. She did not, she did not do anything. She just spoke to him. And he died in that moment. The Bible says his heart died within him. So you can't survive beyond that death that already happened. There is no medical prognosis that would get him out. He, he was rich enough to get himself some good medical attention. But 15 days later, he was dead. There was nothing good. He died. After the manner of the words that his wife had spoken to him. She must have said some things. We, have, we are not privy to it, but she must have said some things. She must have really gotten to him. The Bible says his heart died. But these are not things the CCTV will capture. These are not things you can defend in court. Hey, what did I say? What did I say? You said some things. And the man did not know how to respond than to raise his hand. And this is not a justification for domestic violence. This is not. Before someone would just cut a clip and say, a pastor in Yaba, he said... Hey, Joe. Uh -huh. Please, oh. This is how people behave. Let's cut a clip. Ah! That's, these are the kind of men that we need to. Please. But this is scripture. 
the society is, is conditioned to empathize only with the woman when it comes to issues of domestic violence. But we don't know what transpired before the violence. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what the woman said. Look at what this woman said that killed a man. And you look at the man that day, no injury on his body. No swelling on his face. No mark on his body. Nothing. But he was dead. A woman. Look at the woman beside you. Amen. And ladies know they have this power because sincerely, honestly, and this is not to say men are not smart, but the, quali the, the, the level of intellectual sophistication you need to be able to weave words the way that it can be weaponized, men don't really have that capacity. That is why women would always do better at arguing their case when both of you are talking. So the only way a man knows how to just dominate, like, listen to me. He has to do something. Or he goes into a cave and he, he, he shuts himself up. And the woman wants to continue to talk. What do you want me to do? You want me to wait here and receive it till I die? So I either go somewhere into the cave of Adulam and just comfort myself with Psalms. Or I stay there and beat you. Which one do you want? <laughs> hey, guys, you understand the context, though? Please. So when, when you are sharing this message, just say this portion, just receive it with discretion. I don't know how you do it, but understand exactly what I'm saying. Understand it. Amen. The third spiritual deficiency, spiritual perception deficiency, is spiritual glaucoma. 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 This one, eh? Foul, nail, everything is blurry. Seeing men as trees. Everything is blurry. What's this? Is this a mouse? Is a man you are seeing? Is it a mouse or what? Glaucoma. This one's, they, they are lopsided. They honor who they ought to be dishonoring. And they dishonor who they ought to be honoring. They, they, they are quiet when they ought to speak. They speak when they ought to be quiet. They, they receive enemies as friends. And receive friends as enemies. They are, they, everything is blurry. They don't know how to relate. They, they, they don't have a fair idea of the relationships around them. They cannot perceive accurately. Glaucoma. Blurry vision. Your inability to perceive accurately and then act accordingly. Samson is the WhatsApp admin for this one his parents were his guardians beyond being his parents they were his guardians they were like his guardian angels the secret to the manifestation of his glory was literally in their hands he did not hear the things that the angels spoke to Manoah it was Manoah and his wife that received the prophetic word that governed Samson's life and expressions yet he took them as fans he took his parents that he ought to go from time to time, every quarter, receiving instructions from them. Saying, this is, my, this is what I want to do. And because of his sheer strength, he didn't suffer the immediate impact of his foolishness. He never suffered it because he could fight through anything. So nobody could call him to order. And that is why, you see, pride is usually a function of a false perception of strength. You see people that are 
expressively proud. They have some strength. That is why they can be. They have money, so they speak harshly. Do you understand? They have something, a position, so they treat people anyhow. And so because Samson had strength, there was no consequence that he could face that could necessarily bring him down to his feet or his knees. So there was no way, there was no leverage his parents had over him. Call him to order. What, what, what would happen if they don't call him to order? An army would beat him. No, he would beat the army. Do you understand? He was so strong to suffer the consequences of his foolishness early enough. This is why it is good to pray for crisis when your foundations are not good. So that the crisis can hit your foundation early. It will crumble so that you can build again. Some people are grateful for the breakups because they are in good marriages now. Then enter into the wrong marriage and it's a one chance marriage. Praise the name of the Lord. And so Samson was such an example. The people he should be running away from, he was super attracted to them. The people he should now hallow, he took them as fans. And then he, he, he just lived a life of confusion. His greatest adversary was his girlfriend. How can your greatest adversary be the closest person to you? His girlfriend, who had attempted three times... To remove the lock of his head, which his parents must have told him, but he forgot. They must have told him, this is your strength. Because we will always be with you at all times. So protect this thing. And he attempted three times. And he, you know the power of this woman. She can rub your mumu button somehow in a way now that you just start jabbering three times. Until he said exactly what the secret of his power was. And this woman cut it off. And they made mockery of him and they spotted with him in the garrison of the Philistines. Until he died with his enemies. With his eyes plucked out. Because he couldn't recognize the people that were sent to him to preserve him. He was gravitating towards the people that were designed to destroy him. The Philistines. He, he was marrying for his She pleased me well. Is that not how so many of us get into relationships these days? He pleased me well. Your pastor did not endorse it. And it's not like your pastor has to endorse it. But nobody around you even says this is a good choice. Nobody. He, she pleases me well. Well, what's the meaning of that? Why are you getting married? He, he pleases me well. Really? Is that why you get married? But that was the only reason Samson could bring up. She pleases me well. That's all. And anything can please you well. They should just shake it in front of you. You will be pleased. Yes. And then she, she, she dances, or she walks in front of you, or she does a, a facial expression, and you are pleased. And then you say, she pleases me well. And it was designed from Philistine's camp as a strategy to get you, but you did not even recognize it. Delilah was the product that was released into the market. Not, not, a, not a normal woman. They are products from hell, guys. Products designed from hell. The shape was designed with me in mind. I'm telling you the truth, guys. You know, you've got to be very careful. The shape was designed with you in mind. The dress she was going to wear that day she meets you was designed with you in mind. And so the moment she comes, it just feels so ideal. You're like, ah, she pleaseth me well. But that is your Waterloo. But because you've got spiritual glaucoma, you, you, you perceive men as trees and trees as men. And so you don't even know how to relate. You, you, everything is blurry. Can you pray in your heart right now and say, the, the, the scale falls off my heart today. Can you just pray to God and say, Lord, help my heart. Remove the scale. Remove the scale. 
Lord, help my heart. Remove the scale. Remove the scale. Remove the scale. Remove that scale right now in the name of Jesus. Remove the scale. Remove the scale. Kashila brasila tege. When you live without the rudder of discernment, you will fall victim of this spiritual perception deficiency. There is something called the rudder of discernment. It is the rudder that directs the coordinates of our lives. Samson had lost his rudder. He had lost his coordinates. His parents, he took them for fans. His enemies, he took them for friends. His chief adversary, he took as a girlfriend. He just never had a clear picture of who anyone was in his life. He didn't know the role that everyone played. He, he just mismatched everything. Took the people from the bottom of the pyramid, placed them on top. Took those that are at the top of the pyramid, placed them under. And the people in the middle, he flung them away. He just mismatched his life. He paid daily for that error in judgment. In Jesus' name we prayed. Another example is Judas. Do you know that Judas was not at most of the meetings that Jesus held? He was frolicking with the Pharisees. He, he was more familiar with the Pharisees than he was with Jesus and his men. He spent more time with the Pharisees. So if you're spending more time on social media, on Netflix, than in the word of God meditating, that is a Judas spirit. Because you are the one that they can easily bribe to betray Jesus. So you see Jesus as the one that is delaying your real estate ambitions. Do you know that was the reason why he collected the money? Because Jesus was just carrying them from place to place. They had money in the, in the treasury. They were not using it to do anything tangible for themselves. Only when they go to places, people need help. They will give the, from the money. Give this one. Give this one. Money is going. Money is going. Ah, ah, ah. My, my rent is almost due. I don't know what to do. I don't want to. I, my plan was that by this third year, I want to have my own house. And I'm the one holding this treasury. Let me help myself. Maybe it's where a man is walking. He will what? So when you begin to use to misinterpret life situations and word. And so Judas helped himself. So first he was a thief. Then of course you know that these things you just never get satisfied. So he was a thief. So he stole more than 30 pieces of silver. He stole from the treasury of Jesus' ministry. And Peter always says that if Judas was never, you know, if he, if he never fell, he may have written us a gospel that gives us sound financial principles that governs how churches should be run. Because he held the treasury. This is Jesus' treasurer. Imagine the wisdom that he would have been able to release to us today. Imagine if Judas was like a Peter or a John. I said, ah, this is how the Lord managed his finance. The Lord. Imagine the kind of wisdom we would have gotten. But he, he, he got too familiar. He, he took advantage of his privileged position and started using it for his own personal aggrandizement. What did he need the 30 pieces of silver for? A field. The field eventually became the field of skull because he died there. Real estate ambitions. Sometimes it's ambition to be one thing or the other in the marketplace, in the corporate world, the things we want to do, and then we betray Jesus. Because we don't perceive correctly. So he saw Jesus as a hindrance, as a limitation. He didn't see him as his Lord. As the one that saved his soul. He saw him as the reason why he can't do some things. Do you see Jesus, the word, the church, as the reason why you can't enjoy your life? Say, I could have been enjoying now. <laughs> I, could have, I could have really been doing something that I wanted to do. 
if not for this Jesus, if that's the way you receive Jesus, you will soon betray him. You will soon betray him. And then you are hanging out to the Pharisees. And once they gave you the money, you saw they didn't really care about you. Because they wanted to return it. They said, what's our business with that? Get out. Get out of here. Who cares? You are just a tool to them. Jesus saw you as one he should live to protect. Everyone that was committed into his hand, he said, Father, thank you. Because everyone committed into my hand, I have not lost any. Jesus really cared about Judas. He said, except the son of perdition. He didn't have to be the son of perdition. He didn't have to be. He could have come another way if his heart was not already corrupt. He could have come another way. That betrayal could have come any other way. God could have worked another scenario, something else. Judas didn't have to go. But his heart was so corrupt. He, he saw Jesus as a hindrance. Instead of seeing him as his Lord. And then saw Pharisees as his next step to achieving his real estate ambitions. And so he collected 30 pieces of silver and he couldn't live with the guilt anymore. Because he had the seed of God in him. So he couldn't live with it. And he killed himself. So Samson and Judas are good examples of people who suffered from spiritual glaucoma. So that's the first skill. Someone say the first skill. Now there's a second skill. Praise God. Like I said, this is almost a convocation, but maybe not entirely one. But I'll just need to wrap up this thought before we call it a day. There is a right type of skill. So, Minister Ebubi, please come forward. Minister, thank God, please come forward. Can someone get me anything? Something that he can step on. Maybe a big book or something. Right? Anything. Quickly, quickly, quickly. No, 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 not, not chair. Um, a rag, big book. Um, okay. Are you sure, sir? Okay, okay. So there's nice shoes here, anyways. So it's one <laughs> now, let me use another example. Please go back to your seat, sir. I want to use someone who is much bigger than Minister, thank God. Anyone who wants to volunteer? I don't want to call pastor if you don't volunteer. Just Thank you, sir. Okay, good. Thank you. Let's have this giant here. <laughs> so, this is Emmanuel. Listen, our lives must possess this scale. This is a scale at all times. Now, when I look at Emmanuel, looking at him primarily by his physical attributes, he's a big man. And in life... Beyond this physical attribute, there are other metrics with which we judge people, like money, like affluence, like followers on social media, like the kind of cars they drive, the kind of houses they live in, the kind of wives they married, the kind of children they have. And we base our evaluation on them, of them, primarily by the metrics that they possess. And if we sum everything together, it's big. So we call them what? Big men. It's big. It's a big man. It's a big woman. But you see, you shouldn't judge things by the hearing of your ears or the seeing of your eyes. You must be quickened in the fear of the Lord to judge. That's what the Bible speaks about Jesus. So that fear of the Lord is a scale. When he passes through that scale, he may appear on this other side, a rat. In terms of the weight he really occupies in the scheme of things. Now, that weight would also be dependent on his relative contribution to your destiny. Some people may be big, but they're not connected to you in any way. Just leave them. 
Your paths should not cross. If you go and cross to their path, you'll be destroyed. So just leave them, let them be. But you see, when you see such people who are connected to your destiny, they may look small. But when they pass through that scale, they are enlarged on the other side. Because that scale really gives you the proper evaluation of their weight in the scheme of things. Especially relative to your spiritual destiny. So if I look at this man, I won't just say he's a big man. He has to go through my scale first. When I look at this man, I won't say he's a small man. He has to go through my scale first. That is why you can see you can have a spiritual father who may not have as many followers as you do. Who may not have as much influence as you do. Who may never be able to speak the kind of English that you do. But you just be offended at the man. Or let the man be offended at you. And you will see your life literally start going down. Because that man is God's minister to you for good. That's what the Bible calls him. God's minister to you for good. And so it is important that you, be, you are able to recognize people through the scale that God has given you, which is honor. If you lack the fear of God, your judgment will be wrong. And you will make decisions you will eventually regret because you lack honor. So ideally, I wish I had some animation tools now. You know all this... You just pass, you just, you just condense. <laughs> you just condense into something. And then he comes and he just enlarges. But that's exactly what this scale is supposed to be. And it's very, very unlikely that someone will look on this side the exact way he looks on this side. It's very unlikely. It's very unlikely. It's very unlikely. Henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. People look differently if you perceive them correctly. People, they just look differently. Maybe more, maybe less, but they look differently. They look differently. You don't perceive people on their face value. This guy, ah, he's this, he's that, he's that. And then you judge them. You place a, a, an evaluation, a weight on them. What conditions the weight of people in your life? The presence of bread and wine. The word and the spirit. If people carry God, they will be weighty. See, God means weight. It's called cardboard. Glory. That is what God means. Wait. Wait. If God enters a place, he is weighty. So when God enters a person's life, that person will carry weight. He will be weighty. He may not be muscular. He may not have the fattest bank account. But his words will be weighty. Look at how Samuel became. He was so weighty in the land of Israel that if he entered a territory, that territory was blessed. The territory began to rejoice that Samuel is around. They will rejoice and create a party because a man entered into their city. The Bible says his words never fell to the ground. And the reason was because he had swallowed so much of God. He had become weighty. When Samuel speaks to you, I better pay attention. Because that is a weighty man speaking to you. You don't just judge him by his fashion sense. Say so this guy, he doesn't dress well, Jerry. And that's how we judge a lot from this side. And you just look at people and you just cast a certain judgment on them and weigh them. And it is based on that weightage or based on that perception, you're not beginning to relate with them. Not knowing that actually they are Delilah's in the making. Praise the name of God. Bless your hearts. So they didn't eventually step on it. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Praise the name of the Lord. And that's how we must see life. We must have this scale with which we evaluate every relationship in our lives. Sincerely, spiritual things are very tangible in a certain realm. You must be able to recognize it. Your wife, you can't recognize her in the flesh. When you see people like that, you recognize them spiritually. You weigh them. And everybody else may be saying, ah, why? But you know what you saw. You know what you saw. Praise the name of the Lord. 
So once you weigh them, you let the weight you see through the instrument of discernment. Determine how you want to go ahead with the relationship. The presence of bread and wine, the word and the spirit, is the litmus test. Some people might look very big and impressive, but they weigh very little. Some may be little, but they weigh very big. Your weight is always a direct function of the amount of God you carry. See the weight Samuel carried in Israel. There were more than one seer in Israel, but he had become the seer. His words never fell to the ground. The more God a person carries and commands, the weightier he becomes. Now, the more, God, the more God a person carries and how accurately you weigh that person, that is what will determine how much that person can release into your life. Praise the name of the Lord. Look at the life of Joshua as we begin to round off. Joshua honored Moses so much. God did not have to bless Joshua directly. This is the advantage of honor. God does not have to think too hard to reach you. Because <laughs> imagine if God had to come to Joshua and the same elaborate process of meeting Moses was what he had to inst institute for Joshua. Imagine how long it would have taken. Maybe 40 years. Maybe another 40 years before Joshua can step into the real capacity of Moses. Because Joshua, God never had a direct relationship with Joshua. It was always in Moses. But in one moment, Joshua became Moses. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. In one, this is very important, guys. Oh, Spirit of God. Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Look at it. Just one statement. It says, and Joshua the son of Nun was what? He was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. They began to see Joshua literally as Moses. And Joshua did not go through the very long routes that Moses went through. The only thing that he used to cut that process short was honor. The moment he received Moses in the name of the prophet, it made it very possible for God to release what was on Moses on him. And Bible says Joshua was full of wisdom. Not because he went to the Mount Sinai twice. Not because he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Simply because he received a man in the name of the prophet. He honored Moses. He said, this man is not like every other person. He protected the honor of Moses so much. Some people were prophesying in the camp. He said, why, why, why should they be prophesying like Moses? He never even tried to be another Moses. He protected the honor of Moses. And then that was how he qualified to become Moses. He honored Moses so much. Moses just needed to lay his hands on him. And so I can lay my hands on 100 people and all of them manifest wisdom in 100 different ways. So it was not necessarily dependent on the anointing on my head. It was dependent on how they receive and perceive me. So if you perceive a man of God well, you will receive to the degree of your honor the requisite anointing and grace and mercy that that laying on of hands should pass across to you. Praise the name of the Lord. That's what happened to Joshua. He received from Moses as though he was receiving from God. And then God did not have to create a new system. He just sent his package through Moses. And Bible says Joshua became full of wisdom. Let me just read up some of these thoughts as we round off tonight. <laughs> by now you should this is what happens with, with Joshua he honored Moses so much God didn't have to anoint Joshua himself he sent Moses to anoint Joshua once you don't honor men God has no one to send to you to impact your life with irrevocable blessings remember what we learned on Thursday there is the human factor to the transference of the anointing when people actually don't 
Listen to this. When people actually only fear God, they really don't fear God. I'll say that again. When people actually only fear God, they really don't fear God. They really don't. There must be a physical human coefficient of that fear. Remember, it is honor, reverential honor. So when people say it's only God that I fear in this life, it's a lack of fear for God. It's a lack of fear for God. There must be a human institution that you revere, that can speak to you, that you give unsolicited accountability reports to, that you have given permission in advance to override your preferences. That person must be a living person, not God. We can't verify from God. Amen. Joshua honored Moses so much. Moses had become a conduit for God to anoint Joshua. Your honor of men, worthy of honor, shortens the distance between you and the anointing. Your honor of men, worthy of honor, shortens the distance between you and the anointing. So see what happened. All Joshua needed to do was to walk in wisdom. All Joshua needed to do to walk in wisdom was to honor Moses. At some point, Moses laid his hands on Joshua and the spirit of wisdom rested upon Who could have thought that you can be full of wisdom by a man just laying his hands on you. This wisdom that some people are struggling to get for years. Just receive the laying on of hands. And you are full of it. Not just a little. Full. Wow. Such a conduit Moses must have been to Joshua. But that was because Joshua honored Moses. That's the reason. Joshua was so full of the spirit of wisdom. Because Moses had laid his hands on him. What optimizes the, the ministry of laying on of hands is honor. I could lay my hands, I already said that, I could lay my hands on 100 people today and the manifestation of wisdom in their lives will be relative to the degree of honor that they have for me. It is a law that cannot be undone. Melchizedek was a man like every other man at that field after the slaughter. But Abraham recognized the difference. This guy carries something different and he acted accordingly. To Melchizedek, Abraham responded in absolute honor and reverence. To the king of Sodom, Abraham responded, responded differently and accordingly as well. Father, we give you praise. So, be like Abraham. Don't casualize everybody you see. Remember when Abraham saw those three men? He didn't see three men. He, he saw the epiphany of God. They looked like men. They looked like normal men. They even ate. They even ate, licked plates. But he did not take them for granted. Bible says he hasted. He ran, went to his tent, told Sarah, need this thing, bake this one, get it out. He knew that there was something about these guys. Are you able to perceive people correctly? That what God will send into your life, they don't look like it now. But put them through that scale of discernment. And let the weight at the other end of that scale give you perception on how to relate with them. And everybody's like, why do you honor this guy so much? He sent to me. I, I know why. Let, let me relate with him to the degree of my revelation of who he really is and his contribution to my life. This honor is called the fear of God. That fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We ask that our hearts are established in this truth and in all righteousness. We ask that you take away the first scale and install the next in the name of Jesus. Every scale, spiritual, myopia, spiritual, hypermyopia, spiritual, glaucoma. Lord, take away every scale. And Lord, install in our hearts the scale of discernment. So that we can evaluate everyone in our lives to the degree of their contribution to our destiny. And to the degree that they carry you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, sweet Holy Spirit. For in Jesus' precious name we have prayed.
Can we appreciate Jesus? <laughs> Amen. Father, we give you praise. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Parpoint Tribe.